you're seated, let us uh, pray. Would you bow your hearts and ask the Lord to do something in your heart today through his word, because his word is living and abiding, it endures through the generations, and it has a word for us today. Let's pray. Our Father, you are worthy of all honor and glory, and that unbroken praise uh, is going on. And as a worship team before service, uh, we, we, we prayed that, Lord. We prayed that uh, the unbroken, unbroken praise that is going on in eternity past and will go on for eternity future, that goes on before your throne as the angels sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And Lord, we join that unbroken praise. And we say along with the angels, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Because, Father, you loved us, and by his blood you freed us from our sins so that we would become priests, a kingdom of God, for the praise of your glorious name. And you give the promise to all who would receive, and we would eat of the tree of life, and we would have our names written in the book of life, and we would eat, Lord, of the bread of life, and Lord, you open a door that no one can shut, and you are the door of life, and God, we give you praise today, because Father, the second death has no power over your people, because though we die, yet we shall live forever. We give you praise today, Father, for the blood of Jesus Christ and for the abiding Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And Father, we pray now that as we turn to your word, that you would speak and minister through your word and by the power of your spirit so that it changes our hearts, that we would be doers of the word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. 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 We'll take your Bibles, church. Uh, my name is Craig. If you're brand new with us, it's a pleasure to have you here. We greet you in the name of Christ, and we're turning to 1 John chapter 4. And uh, for those of you who are uh, visiting for the very first time, uh, we are a church that teaches expositionally, which just means that we take a book of the Bible, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and uh, since April, we've been going through the book of 1 John on a theme called Confidence for the Day of Judgment confidence for the day of judgment. Do you realize that the book of Revelation says that one day all people will see the Lord? We will stand before him face to face. It says even those who persecuted him, even those who nailed Christ to the cross, all will see him. And you and I will see him. Think about that. Will that keep you awake at night? Huh? Will that, huh? Will that keep you awake? Wow confidence for the day of judgment. And, and John is writing this epistle to give us confidence and assurance for that day. And so you're turning to 1 John chapter 4, and uh, this has a very special word about discernment, biblical discernment. How many would say that we need discernment today? How many would say that? We need discernment today. And, and this is why we bring the Bible to the church, by the way. Uh, yesterday in our membership class, we had a gentleman come, and, and uh, he said that for decades of his life, he was involved in a church. Never once did he touch his Bible during those decades. And he says nobody in the church brought their Bibles either. And it wasn't until New Hope that he finally, I mean, treasured this word. Why do we have the Bible, folks? Why do we have this? Why do we have this? I encourage you to bring it because this is God's word to our hearts. And so you're taking your Bibles, opening to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to read the first part of verse 1 and the last part of verse 6. And, and this is going to bracket the six verses that we're looking at today. Look at this with me. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You see, it's talking about discernment. Do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits. See whether they're from God. Drop down to the end of verse uh, 6 where it says this, By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And John is going to help us walk through biblical discernment, how we know what is true, how we know what is false, how to identify the spirit of Christ, and how to identify the spirit of the Antichrist, which is indeed alive and well in this world today. Let me ask you this. Uh, if you could ask a question of God that has just been burning on your heart, what would you ask him? What would you ask him? Think about it. If you had one question, you want to know what our kids' zone says? Our kids' zone has been asking some questions, and their questions are burning on their hearts. Some are funny. Some are serious. Uh, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? That was one question. <laughs> Another question was, how much magic does God have? How much magic does God have? And another question that they ask is, who is God's dad? That's what is burning in our kids' zone. But some were also very curious. How was God always there? Does that blow your mind? Another question, why don't we get everything we pray for? It's a great question. And also, and finally this one, how do we know if it's our imagination talking or if it's God talking? How many have ever wondered that? How do I know if it's just my imagination or how do I know if it's God? How do I know if it's true? How do I know if it's false? That's what our kid zone is asking. And our passage today forms that, that grid of biblical discernment to understand the spirit of truth and to understand the spirit of error in everyday life. This is an excellent passage, by the way for theologians and pastors who are concerned about the rapid secularization of our culture. But it's also a great passage for parents and grandparents who, when they look at the next generation of our kids, they're growing up in a nation who's now, uh, the nation whose posture towards biblical authority is one of skepticism and hostility. And parents, are you concerned about that? This is a great passage if you're concerned about the posture of culture towards biblical authority. It's also a great passage for teens and for college kids and young adults who are bombarded daily by the media and the entertainment industry that is layered with satanic, anti-biblical stuff. It's also a great passage for all of us who live in a nation whose biblical foundation has eroded because of the sea of evil. You know what the Bible says about the church? says this, take a look at this. It says uh, that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Do you realize that? The church is the, is the earthly representative of the living God on earth. In fact, the Bible says that the church exists to magnify the name of Jesus Christ and we are to represent God on earth as if, listen, as if God were making his appeal directly through us. We are called the pillar of truth, the foundation of truth. And so for 2,000 years now, the church and the world have locked horns and butted heads in conflict and in arguments over the truth. The topics have always differed for two millennia. Topics have differed from one thing to the next, but ultimately, the conflict always comes down to one central issue. One central issue that the conflict revolves around. You know what it is. Everybody take your Bibles and just hold it up right here. Hold it up. 
Go ahead, take your little cool iPhones, whatever. Okay, there you go. The conflicts always come down to one issue, and it is this. It is biblical authority. Is God's word the final authority in all matters of life and doctrine, or is it not? That's ultimately what discernment comes down to, and what conflict has come down to is the issue of biblical authority. Uh, Some of you are familiar with Pastor Jackson. He visited from Uganda a few times to our church, and our church was able to raise uh, funds, uh, $300,000 for an orphanage to build two floors. And when he visited, uh, he sat down with our pastors in a very kind of just like a side room, uh, kind of a chat, and we were able to kind of film that. And, And he talked about the significant difference between American Christians and Ugandan Christians. And the difference that he talked about is so profound, I wanted to give him 90 seconds when we filmed him that day to talk about this big difference regarding biblical authority. Take a look at Pastor Jackson. And when we read a scripture, we say amen. We don't say why. We don't say how. We don't say, say whatever. We just say Amen. So be it. The culture right now is about questioning everything. See, we are coming from a generation of kings. The kings have been ruling over us many years. The presidents just started in the 1960s. When you are under a kingdom, the king's word is final. When the king says something, you shut up and do it. Okay, but America, you don't have the blessing of kings. You have only known presidents where democracy works. In other words, I don't care what he said, I have to weigh in. I have to contribute. I have to feel to see how I feel about it. And I have the right to vote no. Mm -hmm. And I have the right to vote no. So, with that, now you're going back to scriptures thinking you can have another layer of opinion. And in Africa, we read it, and we say, Amen. So, um, I think there's a blessing of having simple faith. So, scriptures, we don't do it out of liking. I don't care what you like. The scripture says this, so shut up and do it. And don't question. Pastor Jackson. And and so take a look at verse 1 and verse 6 again. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. End of verse 6. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What Jackson is saying there is this. The big difference between America and Africa in terms of Christianity is that Americans Americans tend to come to the scripture and and, and we question it and we we, we give our opinion and and then we, we, we look over scripture as if we are in judgment of the scripture. And in Africa, they come underneath the scripture in submission to it, and they just say what? Shut up and do it. Everybody go ahead and say that. Shut up and do it. And so here I come to 1 John 4, and and the conflict is raging between truth and error, and John, the apostle, the great apostle, is engaged in a battle for truth. We're going to walk through this verse by verse in a moment, but would you give me five minutes to establish kind of a history channel background to this. Would you, would you allow me? Everybody just say yes. Yeah. Okay. 
Because I think that this background is, is very critical to understand what's going on here and why John is so significantly uh, in, engaged in a conflict. On one side, you have the apostles, John being one of the last ones. Uh, you have his disciple, uh, a man by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was an was early convert to the faith, and he was later burned at the stake because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you had another disciple later, a disciple of uh, Polycarp's was Irenaeus, and he was an early Christian writer who defended the faith, and he wrote a, a book called Against Heresies uh, because they were defending the church from the outside influences uh, that were corrupting true orthodoxy. And so these apostles and these early disciples, they had a Ugandan view of the scripture. That is, uh, shut up and do it. They believed it to be true. And they believed, here it is, that, that, the, that the truth of God's word set the parameters and the boundaries of what is true. They believed it. On the other side, you had the Gnostics. It starts with a G, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Uh, the Gnostics, uh, they emphasize secret knowledge. In other words, uh, for them, the Word of God did not establish the parameters of truth. Instead, uh, truth is always evolving. Uh, truth is, is, is going through kind of convulsions, and experience trumps biblical authority. Do you see the difference? Uh, for the apostles, the word was true, it sets the parameters. For the Gnostics, it was mystical experience, and it was the, the realm of the unknown, and it was all of the experiential stuff. Uh, to understand Gnosticism a bit better, I showed this uh, picture once before early in the series, but here is a picture of the Traverse City Public Library, a bookshelf, and on that bookshelf you had Islam, Wicca, Confucianism, Tao, Rastafarianism, Native Dreamcatchers, Mother Earth, Spirituality, Scientology, and Gnosticism. Do you see how it falls on the same shelf? It falls in the same realm, but the danger here in the early church was that these Gnostics were claiming to be Christians... And they were butting heads in conflict with the Apostle John. The Apostle John was on one side, and on the other side, there was a man named Serenthus. And, and these two men uh, were, were opposed to one another. Serenthus rejected the virgin birth. He rejected the incarnation. He rejected the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Uh, and so he was wrong on a lot of cases, especially the nature and the person of who Jesus Christ is. And the battle of truth was so heated between these two men that Irenaeus records this story. Listen to this. He says, John the apostle, the disciple, was going to bathe at Ephesus. And perceiving Serenthus within, he rushed out of the bathhouse without bathing, exclaiming, let us fly, let even the bathhouse fall down because Serenthus, the enemy of truth, is within. My kids got kicked out of a pool last week because somebody had vomited in the pool. And that's how John viewed Serenthus. The conflict over truth was so severe that John wouldn't even bathe in the same water as him. You say, well, what does this 2,000-year-old conflict have to do with today in America? Well, here's some implications. What is the final source of authority? How do we determine what's true in life? Uh, do we go to polling data? Do we go to the Bible? Do we go to po uh, political pundits? Do we go to experience? Do we go to what's legal? Do we go, uh, how do we discern what's true? And what is the extent of biblical truth? Is it closed? Is this final? Does this set the parameters of what's true and what's false? Or is truth more open and whatever we make of it? That is how this is practical. How do we know if it's God talking or if it's just our what? 
our imagination. So with that background setting the stage, now we turn to 1 John chapter 4. And, and the first point is this, it's learn to discern. Learn to discern. It's an old focus on the family uh, initiative that was uh, brought up many, many years ago. Learn to discern. Learn to discern. That is the call of the church. We are called to learn to discern. Look at verse 1 with me now as we walk through this. Beloved, uh, do, read this with me, would you? Read verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John is saying, don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't trust every spirit. Don't rely upon every spirit that you think is, is true. Don't believe it. Don't believe everything you hear. I found this uh, quote by Abraham Lincoln online this week. Check out this one. Don't believe everything you read on the Internet just because there's a picture with a quote next to it. <laughs> I, Abraham, he was a smart man. He was a smart man. Don't believe everything you hear. I told somebody once uh, this. I said, uh, did you know that gullible's not in the dictionary? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Don't believe everything you hear. What are Christians to do? He says, test the spirits. Examine them. Put them under a microscope. Look closely at political perspectives. Put every teaching to a biblical test. Is it within biblical parameters? Test it, examine it, look at the truth, the, the truth claims, and see if indeed they are from the Lord. You know, in the book of Acts and the Bible, this is what the Bereans did. The Apostle Paul was proclaiming and preaching God's word, and it says that the people from Berea, they, they heard what Paul said, and they went back to the scriptures to examine the scriptures to see that if what the Apostle Paul said was true or not. How awesome is that? And I hope you do that every week, even with what I'm teaching, that you would go back to the Word and you would test it with biblical authority. That's what new hopers should do. And we should do it on a daily basis. Let's say that you're watching MSNBC and Chris Matthews. You should run to the Word. And let's say you're watching Fox News and Bill O'Reilly. You should what? Run to the Word. And let's say you're listening to Rush Limbaugh on WTCM. You should what? Run to the Word. Test things with the Word. I got examined this week, I tested this week. I was picking cherries in an orchard uh, when a woman pulled up to me and she rolled the window down and she had that look on her face, that very contentious look. I love this woman. I don't know who she is, but someday I'll see her. And she says, and who are you? <laughs> and she was serious. Now, the last time I was examined like that, I was about nine years old, and I was stealing apples from Mrs. Maiden's in the neighborhood, and she confronted me, and I peed my pants, man. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> that was the last time I was examined, and, and this lady, Ann, who are you? And boy, I was glad this week at 38 years old that I had permission from the owner to be there. But she did what Christians should do. When we hear truth claims, we should have this skeptical realism to say, and who are you? Uh, and who is your authority? Because we have a lot of truth claims out there and that do not have the blessing of the divine creator. Test it. Test things. Do you do that? Because when you put things under a microscope, what you're going to find is the end of verse 1. You're going to find this, that many false prophets have gone out into the world 
you're going to find that there's a lot of junk out there, aren't you? Test things. Don't believe everything you hear. And we should also, as we learn to discern, we should apply a biblical litmus test. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. Uh, John is saying, hey, here's a, here's a litmus test of who Jesus is, a biblical litmus test. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Here's how you know God's Spirit, John says. Every spirit that confesses, that is, to acknowledge or to come under the lordship or give, yes, intellectual, but also a submitted heart. Whoever confesses Jesus as Lord, whoever confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. This is exactly what Serenthus, the enemy of truth, was against. He was saying that Jesus Christ was not fully God. He was not fully man. He denied it. And John says, put a biblical litmus test to it. And then in verse 3, here's how you know the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the world. He says this, every spirit that does not confess Jesus, that, does, that is, does not come under his authority, does not acknowledge that Jesus is king and his word is true, everyone who does not do that is not from God. What does he say? That is the spirit of what? what? Read it. Of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and John says, listen, is now in the world already. The spirit of the Antichrist here in America today. Do you believe that? Do you see that? And it's all over. The litmus test is this, who is Jesus? It was and it is and it remains to be the biblical litmus test for true Christianity. Who is Jesus Christ? And have you given your life to him as Lord? Do you believe that he went to the cross as fully God and fully man? Do you believe that his blood paid a debt of sin which you could not pay? That he absorbed God's wrath, offering forgiveness to all who would repent of sin and trust him as Lord? Do you believe that? Have you come to him as Lord and turned from sin and placed your faith and your trust? And John says this is a biblical litmus test to understand. And that when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, he is at the very core of biblical Christianity. He's at the very core. So what have you decided about King Jesus? The great interviewer throughout our generation, one of them, Larry King, Larry King is a professed atheist, by the way, uh, but he was once asked this, if you could choose to interview one person across history, who would it be? And Larry King replied that he would interview Jesus Christ and he would ask one question. Are you indeed virgin born? And Larry King said this, the answer to that question would explain history for me. And Larry King is now in his 80s, about 83 years old. And do you know what his biggest fear is? His biggest fear, he said last year in an interview, his biggest fear is dying and he keeps him awake at night because he doesn't know what's next. What have you resolved about Jesus? Because it comes right down to it. Is he indeed virgin born? And is he the Lord? Is he the Christ? Is he the son of the living God? Is he fully God, fully man? Paid the debt of sin? Died? And yes, he lives again forevermore. Hallelujah. Do you believe that? Do you confess him as Lord? If you haven't, today is the day of salvation. Trust him, friend. And turn from sin. 
So as we look at this biblical litmus test, let me get very practical here, because for the issue in John's day, it was who is Jesus, but I think that we can draw a practical uh, application to every type of issue in our day. How do we apply biblical litmus test in our day? I think we can ask two questions. Number one, we say, does the scripture speak clearly and directly on the issue? We go to God's word with whatever the issue may be in culture, and we say, does God's word speak clearly and directly on the issue? And if it does, we follow Jackson's advice. Help me out, help me out, help me out. Shut up and do it, right? Because we come under the word, don't we? We don't, we don't sit over in judgment. We, we come under it in submission. Second question then we can ask is this. If the scripture does not directly address the issue, what principles can we gain from the scriptures so that we can make a biblically informed decision on the issue? Whether it's dating or marriage or whatever the case is, what principles can we glean? So let me illustrate this uh, in real life uh, example. Let's say that you're walking downtown Traverse City and you're walking over Union Street Bridge and your friend says to you, hey, I got a good idea. Let's throw this picnic table in the river off the bridge. And I use this as an illustration because this week I was walking downtown Front Street on Union Street and, and there in the water in the river was a picnic table in the water which had been thrown there by two teenage boys, is my guess. I don't know. In that moment, you as a Christian, and you've come to New Hope, and you've gone through this biblical discernment, you're asking two questions. Okay, my friend wants to throw a picnic table in the water off the bridge on Union Street. Does the Scripture speak clearly and directly on this issue? And you go to the Bible, and you take time from Genesis to Revelation, and you realize that the Scripture says nothing about picnic tables. You're like, woo, let's go. But then you realize, well, hold on, second question. Since it doesn't speak directly and clearly on the issue, what principles can I glean that could help me make an educated, biblically informed decision? And then you realize that the scripture, though it doesn't speak about picnic tables, it does speak about justice, speaks about love, speaks about honoring authority, and it speaks about caring for others' property. And so in that moment, you say to your friend, no. Does that make sense? So whatever discernment that you're facing in life, I think that's a practical thing. Does the scripture speak clearly? If it does, shut up and do it. If it doesn't speak clearly, what principles can you bring to play that will address it? That is how Christians learn to discern. Uh, let's move on. Learn to discern and stand with God. This is the second point. Stand with God. Look at verse 4. Uh, stand with God. Verse 4 says this, little children, you are from God. And have overcome them. The them there is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's the lawless ones. It's, it's the age of lawlessness that we live in. It's those who oppose the truth. And he's speaking to the church now, and he says, Little children, you're from God. You've overcome them. For he who is in you is greater, help me out, than he who is in the world. Probably top five verses in the scripture. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. What does this mean? Overcome means to conquer, to have victory. Not here meaning physically. Yes, in the ultimate end, we have the hope of resurrection, and we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. We will overcome physically. 
and for all of eternity. But here he says, you have overcome them, like right now. And it doesn't necessarily mean physically here, because indeed the world may indeed persecute you, and some of the people that John is writing to were probably put to death for the faith, including Polycarp. But here he means intellectually and spiritually that you are on God's side and God is in you. And because God is in you, you are an overcomer. You have overcome them. I have one of my daughters, the youngest one, who wrestles with fear and, and, and has been going on. And, and, and many of you have prayed for her and she's getting better as she learns to have victory and overcome. And one of the things that we teach her at night before she goes to bed when the fear kind of comes up is that God is always with her. God is in her because she has trusted Jesus Christ as Lord. And we teach her this, I am an overcomer. And little Darcy will repeat that when she goes to bed about every night. I am an overcomer. And that's right here out of 1 John 4, that in Christ we are overcomers. And as overcomers, it drives out fear. Do you believe that? Greater is he that's in us. It means that God is bigger. He's stronger and no matter how rapid our culture moves towards secularization, do you realize that he is stronger, he is stronger, sin is broken, he has saved us? Hallelujah, what a Savior. We have the guarantee, the final outcome, that his kingdom is forever. Look at verse 5. Uh, God is in us, but uh, that's not the whole news. Also, the world is against us. Verse 5 they are from the world. Again, speaking of those who oppose the truth. They're of the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So here we have the contrast. We have on one side, we are of God, we are overcomers, we are in him, he's greater than the world. And then we have this, they are from the world. And the NIV reads it this way, that they have the viewpoint of the world. In other words, their viewpoint as they come to truth claims is not from a godly biblical perspective. Their viewpoint is from a worldly corrupt perspective. How many see that that's a natural conflict, isn't it? There's a natural conflict between those who have godly perspective and biblical parameters and those who have worldly perspective without biblical authority. And this is what John is talking about. This is why we need to learn to discern. And at the end of the day, we choose to stand with whom? Do we stand with the world or do we stand with God? Well, what do you think? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer right there. Good play, good job. We stand with God. And he's warned us about this. Don't love the world or the things in the world because all of those things are falling away and they're going to pass away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And that, my friend, is the hope of resurrection. That's why we are overcomers, because at the end of the day, God wins, and we are on his side. So learn to discern and stand with God. Here it is, last point, by walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. This is an emphasis in John's epistle here. He's talking about walking in truth and, and continuing in truth and loving the truth. And look at verse 6. We are from God, he says. Whoever knows God listens to us. He's talking there about the church and certainly biblical authority, and he's saying, if you're of God, you're going to hear the words, you're going to listen to us, and on the other hand, whoever's not from God, they don't listen to us. And I was thinking about this passage right here, just, just very briefly. I was thinking, you know, 
there are some people right here who are hearing this message in my voice right now, and you're just like, you just, you're just not getting it. You just, you just, you, you resist it. You, you rebel, and and it's not sinking in because you have not received Christ as Lord. But today you can. John says, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And he says, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Walk in the truth. He puts a dividing line. On the one hand, you have those from God, and on the other, those not from God. On the one hand, they listen to us. The word of God, on the other hand, they have those that don't listen to us. They're of the world. Which best characterizes you and me? What best characterizes you? How do you come to the scripture? By how do you come to a discerning pattern of truth? And this is the practical how-tos of Christianity. So what do we take away from this? What are the action steps? Because, friend, I say it weekly, but we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers. So what do we do? Here's some ideas for uh, all of us. Uh, decide. How about decide in your heart today that this word is worthy of your admiration and utmost respect, and you come to recognize and trust that this word sets the parameters of truth for all of life and all of doctrine. Have you decided that? I mean, really decided that this word is not only the offer of life and the message from God himself, but it is the final authority? Have you decided that? How many uh, know the name Billy Graham? I I know not many of you probably do. (laughs) Do you know that early in Billy Graham's ministry, before he was well-known, he was in Southern California, and he was wrestling with doubts about the Scripture, whether or not the Scripture was holy and totally true or not. And as he wrestled, he took a walk one night, late at night in California, And on that August night in California, Billy Graham prayed this, Father, I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. And he decided in his heart that he was going to put away the doubts and receive the fact that this was God's word by faith. And in his autobiography, he writes this, Not all my questions were answered, but a major bridge had been crossed In my heart and in my mind, I knew a spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and won. Isn't that good? And friend, I would just say decide whether or not, before you leave today, decide whether or not this word is going to be the very source of truth that you're going to let guide your life. Decide. Another one is learning to discern. Learning to discern. Uh, teenagers especially, college kids, young adults. Some of you are going to start school soon. Boo, everybody, boo. Some of you are going to start school soon, and some of your teachers are going to go by the name of Serenthus. They're going to oppose the very truth that you believe about the Bible. And in those moments, as you're under the instruction of some teachers who come from a worldly viewpoint, it is going to be very important to examine the truth claims, to test under a microscope, what is being said in the classroom so that you can come at the things in the classroom from a biblical perspective. Or how about this? What picnic tables are you dealing with? 
Uh, what, what areas of discernment are you wrestling with? I mean, major, maybe you're at a major crossroads in life and you're, maybe some of you are considering divorce right now. Or maybe some of you are in the midst of a, of a job transition or a financial decision that you're looking to make and, and you have yet to just stop and pray and bring it to the Lord and say, first of all, Lord, where does your scripture speak directly on this? And if it doesn't speak directly, what principles can I glean from the scripture so I can make a biblically informed decision about this? And do you know how God is going to confirm his word? He's going to confirm it usually through three ways. He's going to speak into your heart through the word of God. He's also going to testify uh, into your, your heart through the, through the counsel of other people, through godly people as you tell them, hey, this is what I'm thinking about and what do you think? And, and then he's going to also confirm it by his Holy Spirit. So as you're discerning things today, maybe, maybe you need to go to those three things. What does the word say? And, and then bring it before a council of other godly people. And, hey, help me out. What do you think about this? And, and then pray and ask God to speak and minister personally to you. Let's talk entertainment choices. Entertainment choices. Where do you need to apply biblical principles of discernment? How about this? Proactive discernment. Before you watch, how about going to websites or apps uh, like Focus on the Family or IMDB, which, which you can go through the parental guide and find out exactly why it's rated the way it's rated, and then ask the question once you read through all the garbage, am I okay allowing this in my home? That's discernment, isn't it? Before you watch. And then... You teach kids to operate by big principles. This, my children, is how we decide on entertainment. Psalm 101, I will walk with integrity in my house, and I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. How cool is that? That's big principles right there. And so though the scripture doesn't say, should you watch an R-rated, should you watch PG-13, should you do this, should you do that, uh, instead, you operate by big principles. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless, and I will walk with integrity in my house. Do you see how the biblical principles can apply? And then you decide whether or not you should watch the movie. How cool is that? I just freed you up. And then we have to have reactive discernment, that is discerning as you watch. Parents, dialogue with kids, what you're watching, what you're seeing on the TV, what you're seeing on the movie. You ask questions, what message is that Disney movie sending? What truth is being promoted? What does the Bible say about that issue? And, and then parents, I think it's important, parents, that we don't fall asleep on the couch. I did that. A couple months ago, I'm watching a movie with my kids, and I fell asleep like I always do. And my daughter wakes me up and says, Dad, we shouldn't be watching this. And she identified a, with a spirit of discernment that on the movie, it was a spirit of the Antichrist weaving in a message of the world. Now, i got to tell you, friends, I am so grateful to have a daughter that has discernment. And then I thought, how terrible it is that we as parents are falling asleep while our kids are tuning in to trash. What a check. What a check for me. So safeguard the home. Maybe you cancel cable. We did it 12 years ago. We have not missed it hardly at all except for Saturdays during college football season. <laughs> I got to admit, man, that's hard. It's hard, you know. And, and, and listen, if, if, if you want to have me over, just, just call me. But 
12 years, 12 years, challenged by the chairman of our board to cancel cable. We did it, haven't missed it except for Saturday's college football. Think about it. Maybe it's time to cleanse the music library or the DVD shelf. Does this carry an anti-biblical message that undermines the authority of God's word and, and discern and don't fall asleep and... That's all of discernment. How about current events? Discern from a biblical viewpoint. Examine things in the media. Ask questions from a biblical view. Is that what God's word said? Or is that the spirit of the Antichrist? Where does the Bible speak about this issue? Dialogue with your kids, parents, over these issues. And and don't let it be silent. Raise the questions. Hey, kids, what do you think about that? And I bet you're hearing about that in the school, aren't you? Yeah. Talk about things with your kids. Help them know that God's word is not silent on these issues. Walk circumspectly. I'm using that word because I don't even know what it means. <laughs> Ephesians 5.15, King James. Walk circumspectly. Love it. What does it mean, Craig? It means walk looking around and examining things very closely. That is, we no longer assume innocence. Indeed, we have a skepticism in our heart that assumes a worldly agenda that is coming across the airwaves. We assume it. We are skeptical. We examine things. We, we want to know what their agenda is. Do you realize that everyone has an agenda? Do you know that this pastor talking to you has an agenda? Do you know it? I have an agenda. Here's my agenda. To help you think biblically about truth and error. I, my agenda is that you would take these words and you would go to the scriptures and you would say, what does God's word say? That's what type of church we are. And finally, I would just say this action step is confess Jesus as Lord. Confess Jesus as Lord. Larry King, as I said, he really fears death. And in his word, he contemplates it often before sleeping because he remains unconvinced about Jesus, the virgin-born King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you need him today as Savior? Would you bow your heads? Friend, take 30 seconds right now. What are you going to do with this message? What action step do you have? What is God calling you to do? What area of discernment in your life in regards to truth and error, in regards to moving ahead, moving forward in a life decision financially or occupationally or what crossroads are you at where you need to say, God, I need to know what your word says and how you're leading me very specifically. What is your will here? Take it right now. Take 30 seconds. Dedicate your heart to him. God, in response to this word, I will do this. Father, we do praise you today that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And Father, this passage of scripture hits on the area of biblical discernment, how to know the voice of God or how to know when it's just our imagination and how to know when it's the spirit of the Antichrist in the world. Father, I pray for our church today. I love our church. I love our people. And Father, you desire that your people would exercise biblical discernment in everyday life. May this passage mobilize us as parents and teens and young adults to put into practice the truth of God's word. We declare today our allegiance to you, Jesus, as Lord, and our allegiance to the scripture as the final authority. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is a love letter to us. 
giving us, Lord, the words of life. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You are dearly loved, church, and you're dismissed. We love you. Blessings. Blessings.